Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. It's December 5th, 1958, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Hello, operator. I've no need for you anymore. Go away. Because it was today in history in 1958 that British people were first able to telephone each other over long distances using automation rather than having to speak to an operator who'd manually connect your call and then silently judge you first. And the first person to make such a call... Her Majesty the Queen. <laughs> we could tell that from your impression, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has to be said, you know, for a, a milestone event, it wasn't the most scintillating chat. Uh, she said, this is the Queen speaking from Bristol. Good afternoon, my Lord Provost. To which Sir Ian Anderson Johnson Gilbert in Edinburgh replied, may I with humble duty offer you the loyal greetings of the citizens of Edinburgh? Kind of an amusing way to introduce. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's like cutting edge. Britain is in the modern era tech and it's being introduced through this formalised conversation between the Queen and the Lord Provost. Astonishingly, they eked out this level of banter for just over two minutes. And it has to be said, the most entertaining part came after they hung up when Prince Philip turned to the engineers and quipped, you can relax now, chaps, it all works. <laughs> it's funny, it made me think of that thing that people say to each other that the King and now the Queen must think that the world smells of fresh paint because everything has just been repainted before they get to see it. And, you know, they must also have a really distorted idea of how the English language sounds, given that everyone is trying to put in their most formal register every time they speak to them. Uh, an engineer who was there, Brian Fox, later recalled the preparations at Bristol Central Telephone Exchange for the royal arrival. He says... The walkway from Telephone Avenue was tented and full of flowers and a powder room for the Queen was hastily provided in a converted control room. <laughs> well, it was a big deal. It was important that they got everything right. What if she needs to wee, you guys? She might need to wee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's important that they had a script, even though it sounds stilted, because otherwise... I mean, you remember how for the first five years of FaceTime, all calls on FaceTime were basically about FaceTime. It would have been like that, wouldn't it? 
hey, Lord Provost, you'll never guess what. <laughs> I haven't had to speak to an operator. You haven't had to speak to an operator, ma'am. By Jove. But anyway, you know, up until this point, people using telephones in the UK to dial long distance had to go via an operator when they wanted to reach somebody. But the General Post Office, which ran the early telephone network, was just really eager to update the technology. And so they spent £3.5 million modernising the network to try to catch up with the popularity of telephone usage in the US because people obviously weren't using the phones as much here because they just weren't as useful. This subscriber trunk dialing, it was called, or unfortunately abbreviated to STD, uh, was indeed to compete with America. If you look at the numerical codes that were put in place on this day, it's a very efficient British take on organising the world's telephone numbers. The level of detail is is really impressive. Mm. I had no idea. So, for example, every landline phone number started with zero. London was 01. But every other city in the UK, the second digit, corresponded to the first letter of the city name on the telephone dial, which I've sort of subliminally been aware of, but never really thought out loud before. So Birmingham was 02, Edinburgh was 03, Glasgow was 04... Liverpool 05 and Manchester 06. The reason why they wanted to do this particular call from Bristol to Edinburgh was because, well, Edinburgh being 300 miles away from Bristol, this was the greatest distance that a trunk call could be made at the time. And so they were basically showing off. Yeah, it was a bit underwhelming compared to what was going on in the United States, where transcontinental direct dialing Mm. was already possible. International subscriber dialing first came on the scene in 1963, when Londoners were able to call Paris, just specifically one city to another city Mm. dialing. Uh, Londoners were later able to call New York City in 1970 and then eventually you got to the point where you could call anywhere not just your friend had to go to like the major city of their country in order to receive your phone call automatically (laughs) but it took a really long time for all of Great Britain to be connected to the trunk system it was 1976 that the last manual exchange in the United Kingdom Portree in the Isle of Skye was closed. The other thing that this new system did once it was finally with everyone, which, you know, took two decades, was that it made phone calls cheaper. You know, the Queen's two-minute phone call cost the equivalent of 4p, and under the old system it would have been 19p. And I guess that's because it was really expensive to maintain these central systems where you had an operator. Yeah, but I mean, you know, worth stressing that prior to this day, most calls weren't being manually connected by fast-talking, no-nonsense names. In fact, I think the era we most associate with operators, you know, the 1940s, was actually a time when operator jobs were being slashed due to automation, which was finally taking off decades after the technology had first been developed. It was actually really slow to take hold. The first automatic exchange was patented in the US in 1889. It was by guy called Almond B. Stroger, who was a funeral director in Kansas City. And the story goes that he discovered that his local operator was the wife of a rival funeral director and was connecting Stroger's prospective clients to her husband. <laughs> oh, my God, that's good. That's dark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, so if you were making a local call for decades before this, even in Britain, you, you could uh, without speaking to an operator, which is why, like my father-in-law until about 10 years ago would pick up his phone and say the last four digits you know 2691 or whatever (laughs) because that was the legacy of it most people were calling locally and so you only needed four numbers to remember and you'd be able to get through to someone but who was dialing you know nationally apart from people like the queen but then obviously once the technology was available 
Um, it became very popular to make more and more phone calls. And push-button phones as well in 1966 made uh, direct dialing even easier, the cordless phone in 1983. And this day in history was also the day that they launched the PIPs for payphones so that you knew when you needed to top it up with more money. They didn't have a system in place for that before today. So you just get cut off. Whereas they, they actually created in Britain that thing of it going boop, 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 and you realising, yeah, right. oh, I need to put some more money in the thing. On the one hand, you feel sympathetic for all of the people who lost their jobs because of this innovation. But on the other hand, when you like read about what conditions were like at telephone exchanges, it sounded totally brutal because at its peak, there were hundreds of thousands of women being employed in places with telephone exchanges all around the world. But the work itself was so full on. Like they often, particularly in the US, they tended to have dress codes, which were very, very strict. Uh, operators had to work for very long hours. They weren't allowed any sort of rest breaks. They weren't even allowed to make any noise in the switchboard because I suppose then you'd be distracting people around you. So they were brutal mm. places to work. And, you know, it's not surprising that quite a lot of strike activity started to begin because conditions were so rough. I do support the dress code, though. I mean, that's why I asked you all to wear black tie. <laughs> just because you're on audio doesn't mean you shouldn't make an effort. I was going to say, it just seems like such a devilish detail to be like, well, they won't be able to see you, but we'll be able to see you. Make sure you dress smartly. It wasn't just what they were wearing as well. It was their actual bodies. You know, exchanges were very tightly packed because they were sitting, you know, all these women right next to each other in front of the switchboards. Applicants had to meet height, weight and arm length requirements just to be considered for a role. But And even though the work was so hard, I mean, the level of employee monitoring is very reminiscent of a modern call centre. You know, they, they were constantly being watched to make sure they weren't whispering or smiling or giggling and actually in 1899 the coroner an inquest into the suicide of a San Francisco operator directly attributed her mental distress to quote the espionage to which telephone girls are constantly subjected but even so hundreds of thousands of women wanted to work at these jobs you know we, we talked about it a bit in our episode on the typewriter in the turn of the century was a time when office work was becoming an acceptable occupation for a young unmarried woman especially compared to working as a domestic servant or in a factory and telephone operator came to be seen as kind of an extension of that kind of you know clerical office role to which women might respectably aspire it's interesting though isn't it like with the air stewardesses that we talked about in our episode about that that ultimately men and women together felt more comfortable with women taking this efficient but subservient role mm. men i think i suspect felt uncomfortable asking other men to connect their calls for them or maybe it was posh women felt uncomfortable about asking men to connect their goals with uh, Yeah, I mean, it's funny how much of that has lasted into the contemporary world. You know, major tech companies had to uh, diversify the gender of voices that were given to digital personal assistants because, you know, in the early days... Siri was female and Google Home was female and there was no alternative because people just assumed that that's a role that should be played by women. But this wasn't actually today in history the first time that a monarch had been involved in a significant technological innovation regarding the phones. The first private connection in Britain was made by Queen Victoria from Osborne House on the Isle of Wight to Sir Thomas Biddulph, also at Osborne Cottage, so next door, uh, <laughs> in January 1878. And it was after that that telephone exchanges were developed. And I just kind of hope that we can continue this tradition throughout the centuries so that every time there's a new technological innovation, 
The royals do it first. <laughs> we call in the king or queen <laughs> to have AI sex. <laughs> Prince William sends the first aubergine DM via yeah. whatever platform is around the corner. Exactly. <laughs> Tomorrow. He had this mysterious liquid flowing through his relic. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors.